Election Day 2020 saw the highest voter turnout in more than a century in this country, with about 158.4 million voters casting ballots, according to the Pew Research Center. Since then, the laws governing how Americans elect their public officials have become the focus of bitter partisan battles in many states. Welcome to And Another Thing. I'm Maya Schwader. I'm Dara Kennedy. On Capitol Hill, Senate Democrats suffered a major defeat in their efforts to pass voting rights legislation. This, as a growing number of states have been enacting voting changes in reaction to the 2020 presidential election. Among those debating change is Massachusetts. The state's Republican Party is working to enact a form of voter ID laws, both with legislation and by adding the question on the midterm ballots in November. Republican State Representative Lenny Mirror of Georgetown provides insight on why his party is pushing for change. Lenny, can we ask you a question? Several Republican bills are now being considered in the Joint Election Committee that would require voter ID to cast ballots in Massachusetts. What do you think is needed at this time? Hi, Dara. Thank you for having me on the air. I'm happy to be here. And I, I think what is needed is we need to uh, basically understand what is the will of the voters on this issue, because sometimes uh, issues, legislation, bills uh, should be subject to um, the popular will. And voting laws, I think, falls into that category because there's no single right way or wrong way to do elections, Dara. I think it's a matter of um, preference. And if the voters of Massachusetts want a voter ID law, uh, they should have voter ID laws. And um, this is something I've heard from a lot of constituents about. And the vast majority of the ones that I've heard from definitely want these laws in place. And in fact, just about every poll I've seen shows that voter ID laws um, show support across party lines. The vast majority of voters do in fact want a voter ID law. And, and what's the benefit to that, to actually being able to show an ID? Um, it, I think, just makes people feel more secure in our election system. Um, unfortunately, after the last several elections, especially presidential elections, They've been followed by calls of stolen elections and illegitimate presidents. And I think this is perhaps one way of putting that to rest. And if that's what is needed, then, then I'm all for it. And that's why I support this question being on the ballot, so that the voters of Massachusetts can decide for themselves if they want it. And by the way, if we pass it, we will be joining 36 other states that do in fact have voter ID laws. We know that the 2016 election election was very contentious, especially when yeah. it when it went into more diverse community communities. How do you respond to allegations that this particular strategy to require voter ID is actually excluding those in those communities? Well, we got to make sure we do it right. Now. If if we do this, if we go down this road, we have to make the identification necessary, easily to obtain, and free of charge. We cannot be charging people. For an identification uh, necessary to cast a ballot. That is like a poll tax, and we don't want that. So the devil's in the details. Um, but if we make it readily available, like I said, like 36 other states do, I think this can be done. And by the way, um, just about every European country requires voter ID as well. So most Western democracies have this um, as one of their laws, and it has not suppressed the vote uh, where it is in place. Why do you think there's an urgency now? Have there been cases of fraudulent voting? There are some, but I, I would contend that these cases where dead people are voting or people are voting in other people's, I think they're very, very rare, certainly less than 1% uh, 
certainly less than what could sway an election. But again, I defer to the will of the voters. If this is what would make people feel more secure about our election system and our voting system, then we should have these laws. Is the ballot question as much a way of getting conservative voters to the polls as it is an effort to actually change the voting rules? Uh, that could be a part of it. Um, you know, I'm not part of the effort to get this on the ballot. Um, other people are. Um, but I, I think it's just something that a lot of people are calling for. They just want this on there to make them feel more secure. And by the way, you know, we hear from people that want expanded early voting laws. They want to be able to vote by mail or vote uh, by absentee ballot. And again, I will defer to popular opinion on this. If the voters of Massachusetts want these things, there's nothing wrong with them. You know, other states have done this uh, and have not had any problems. Uh, after the last election, I'll tell you that uh, a lot of people wanted, you know, ranked choice voting. Uh, because during the primary, you'd have races with 20 or 30 people running for it, and the winner would win with just, say, 28% or 32% of the vote. And that angered a lot of people, so they insisted that we in implement ranked choice voting. Well, the legislature failed to act on that, just like they're doing with voter ID. The legislature simply buries it. And so, fortunately, Massachusetts has this provision where citizens can gather the signatures necessary to get the question put on a ballot, and then the voters themselves can decide. So, Ranked choice voting did not pass here in Massachusetts, um, but, you know, it is used in other states. I want to say Maine uses it for congressional races. Cambridge uses it for their local elections. There's nothing wrong with it, and um, there's nothing wrong with having the voters themselves decide if they want these rules uh, in place. Yeah, it has been known that ranked choice voting can be very confusing for the voter, yeah. and I think that's why it, it also hasn't, hasn't made it to, to the state level. State Representative Lenny Mara, thank you so much for joining us on And Another Thing. Well, thank you for having me on the air. Appreciate it. The Republican push for a voter ID law comes as Massachusetts Democrats are working on different voting reforms that they say would make it easier for eligible voters to have their voices heard. The Massachusetts Votes Act won approval from the state Senate this month and is now being considered by the Massachusetts House. It would make voting provisions that were put in place during the pandemic last year permanent. Joining us now to explain that plan is Senator Joe Comerford of Northampton. Senator, thank you so much for joining us on And Another Thing. What's the goal here? Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. The goal is uh, to allow for every Massachusetts resident who's eligible to exercise our greatest superpower, which is our ability to cast a vote. That's the goal, to break down barriers to voting uh, and make sure that we have an informed, active, and engaged electorate, which is really the key to the healthiest possible democracy. What do you think are the most important provisions of this particular bill? That's a really good question. Um, so the Votes Act is quite sweeping. It codifies same-day voter registration, expanded mail-in voting options, expanded early person voting options. It codifies ballot drop boxes, and, you know, that on top of um, automatic voter registration in the Commonwealth. So it, it, it begins to, to bust out uh, some of the areas like mail-in voting that voters have long wanted, um, and now we begin to see them enshrined in law. 
You did travel to the nation's capital in August to protest for federal voting right protections and brought with you a letter of support from 74 Massachusetts state legislatures, including much of the Western Massachusetts delegation (laughs) in support of the Federal Freedom to Vote Act. Why do you think it's important to have the Western Mass, Massachusetts overall, but the Western Mass voices added to that national conversation? Well, you know, it was a it was a quite a, a thrilling uh, opportunity to organize with Senator Becca Rausch in the um, Massachusetts legislature. Senator Rausch and I joined Senators Sonia Chang Diaz, Cindy Cream, Adam Gomez, and also Representative Mindy Dom, John Long, uh, Tom Wynn, China Tyler, and Bud Williams. So we were a cohort of colleagues in the House and Senate uh, pushing for our colleagues to ask our federal delegation to pass the For the People Act and the Voting Rights Act, of course, the Expanded Voting Rights Act. And, you know, why it was important to have Western Massachusetts at the table is that our delegation in Western Massachusetts strongly believes in the expansion and also the the strengthening of voting rights protections for our people here in Western Massachusetts. So it was terrific for us to be able to join with colleagues to link arms with colleagues across the Commonwealth, uh, sign that letter and then send us off to Washington to represent Massachusetts, along with uh, 150 other legislators from 30 states who came to the Capitol to talk with our legislative colleagues at the federal level uh, in the Senate um, and, and really urge them to have the greatest possible speed in their passage of this bill. Senator, you do a great job reaching out to the community. You hold these talks, these community talks. Are you reaching out to your constituents now to explain to them what's happening? Uh, Well, sure. You know, I believe that part of our job as legislators is to make sure that we're communicating all the time with our people. I think of it as an act of both transparency and accountability. Folks need to know, these are the folks I work for, they need to know what votes I'm taking, what issues I think are important, how I'm spending my time and how my team is spending their time. Senator Joe Comerford of Northampton. Senator, thank you so much for joining us on And Another Thing. Are these changes fair for all? That's a point of interest for Massachusetts Voters Advocacy Group. They will explain their stance. And later, we'll hear a new report about racial property restrictions that appear to lessen the chance for some to obtain their family goals. That's after the break. You're listening to And Another Thing. You're listening to a previous broadcast of And Another Thing. This is And Another Thing. I'm Dara Kennedy. And I'm Maya Schwader. Today on And Another Thing, we're hearing from lawmakers working to change voting laws in Massachusetts. The Massachusetts Votes Act has passed the Senate and is now before the House, and it has the backing of Common Cause Massachusetts. The organization's executive director, Jeff Foster, says the group is also paying close attention to the GOP effort to put voter ID on next year's ballot. I will say on on the actual policy of voter ID, it is completely a solution in search of a problem. We're hearing that folks, not just in Massachusetts, but in other states, are proposing such a policy to try to uh, reduce the amount of fraud in our elections. There is tons of research on this uh, that all show the same thing. There is no fraud in our elections. Last fall, nationally, is one of the most secure and accurate elections in U.S. history. 
so we are not entirely sure uh, why there is an interest in a voter ID law for Massachusetts. Our elections here are accurate. They are secure. And if it does end up on the ballot, we'll have a lot more to say. There are real problems. Uh, you know, there are existing barriers to voting that disproportionately impact lower income communities, communities of color, young people and elderly. And so we are working to support the Votes Act before the legislature, which seeks to address many of the real problems. So the Massachusetts Votes Act would make mail-in and early voting permanent in this state. It would also enact same-day voter registration. Who would benefit the most from these reforms if they're enacted? Simply put, every single voter or potential voter in the Commonwealth. This is a robust bill that really seeks to make our democracy more accessible and equitable. Uh, And so there is a lot in it. Voters in Massachusetts, we went through a lot last fall trying to vote during a pandemic. There was heightened anxiety around the presidential election. There was this unfortunate narrative around the results. And so it was really in the context of that moment that our coalition, the Election Modernization Coalition, worked closely with State Rep. John Lawn and State Senator Cindy Cream on the Votes Act. Two provisions in the bill, same-day registration and jail-based voting, are really focusing on making our democracy more equitable. And so those are specific policies that research shows will directly impact voters of color and lower income voters. Research shows that same-day registration could increase voter turnout in Black and Latino communities by upwards of 17 percent. Is there a political party that stands to benefit more if these reforms pass? Absolutely not. There was research done last year around uh, vote by mail nationally uh, because this was a question that was being raised. Uh, and the research was clear. It benefits all parties equally. So, no, you know, making voting more accessible, making democracy more accessible is extremely a nonpartisan effort. It is unfortunate that making voting harder has been seen as a partisan strategy for many, many years. As you mentioned, another provision of this legislation would require correctional facilities to help eligible inmates register to vote and apply for and return mail-in ballots. Why is it important to include these votes? There's upwards of 9,000 folks currently incarcerated in Massachusetts who still maintain the legal right to vote. Unfortunately, because of their situation, there are additional administrative and logistics barriers uh, that make it harder for them to vote simply because they're incarcerated. After the last few years with the legislature leading on criminal justice reform and police reform uh, and everything the country went through last year and the discussions we had around structural racism, everyone knows that it's our black and brown communities who are over-policed and overrepresented in our correctional institutions. And so it really is a matter of racial justice to lift up this core part of our voting population in Massachusetts. The nonprofit organization MassVote reported after the last presidential election that Massachusetts communities that were educated, white, wealthy, they saw the largest voter turnout and communities that were poor, minority and less educated saw the lowest number of voters. So going back to the equity question, how do provisions such as early voting, same day voter registration, how do they close that gap? So there was initial research done last fall in response to the Democratic primary that actually showed the gap between white voters and voters of color increase with some of these new reforms that were put into place. Those are still really good policies, and we are really excited that the Votes Act would make them permanent. We think that all voters stand to benefit by that increased access. But we also know that those policies alone don't address the the gap in voter turnout. 
And so that's why we really think that same day registration is a critical reform that needs to be included in anything that gets to the governor's desk because it's proven to close that gap. Now we're in the midst of municipal elections, right? And what we really need folks to get excited about uh, what's happening now, which is our local democracy. I think it's important for folks who may be a little tired uh, after everything we went through as a country last year and in January, and they might feel the need to kind of take a step back from civic engagement. That is the exact uh, uh, wrong thing to do. We need everyone to lean in. Jeff Foster is the executive director of Common Cause Massachusetts. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Inequalities across industries and services to minorities were uncomfortably exposed during the height of the coronavirus pandemic. As our country finds its ways to rebuild, are those systemic practices being rectified for inclusivity or are some establishments wallowing in ancient exclusionary discrimination? WBUR's Simone Rios reports that racist restrictions live on in many Massachusetts property records. Wilmington is a small bedroom community just south of Lowell. A stone's throw from the town's Silver Lake is a little old white house, paint peeling off the trim and a mailbox with an American flag on the side. Homeowners Edward Kaiser and his wife Mary Tassone Kaiser flip through the old deeds to the family's land. Oh, the railroad, yeah. Yeah, well, the streets were different. Then they see it, a sentence written in 1897 on behalf of seller Henry Kopp, it says the property cannot be occupied by, quote, Negroes or Irish or any others considered disorderly people. Oh, my gosh. Did your parents know anything they liked about that? If they did, they didn't say. No, that's, that's really surprising. The Kaisers say the house has been in the family for generations, but they had no idea about the racist language in the land records. It's disgusting. I mean, to, like, discriminate against anybody so they can't own land for whatever reason or live in a a house for whatever reason. I mean, we don't stand for any of that. So-called racial covenants can be found in property records all over the country. That includes Massachusetts, where many restrictions were written from the late 19th to the mid-20th century. Some bar landowners from selling or renting to people who aren't white, Others target certain immigrant groups like Poles, Italians, and Irish. Another racist land covenant to a property sold in Lowell in 1881 is in the records kept at the Registry of Deeds for northern Middlesex County. Richard Howe is the Register of Deeds there and pointed out the clause. The said premises being deeded under the express agreement and condition that the land shall never be deeded or conveyed to any person born in Ireland. So... You can't get more specific than that. The covenant hits close to home for Howe. His ancestors immigrated from Ireland in the late 1800s and wouldn't have been allowed to buy the land. Howe is an amateur historian of Lowell. He says the anti-Irish deed reminds him of the sentiment expressed in 1898 at the dedication of a new superior courthouse. The speeches were almost saying uh, it's important that we have this building that communicates the rule of law because... 
we've got all of these people who don't speak English arriving on our shores, and there's anarchists. And to me, it's like an echo of the caravans from Central America today. Howe says there's no way to identify all the racist restrictions buried in old deeds. The vast majority are not searchable, even when they have been digitized. So creating an inventory of the records would have to be done manually. It would take really going through every document. And we have close to 14 million pages of records. And that's just in one of the 21 registries of deeds across the state. Experts say the racist clauses have had no legal standing for decades, but they still cause concern. The state land court recently started letting judges add a note to deeds, saying the covenants are void. Lauren Resnick, an administrator with the land court, says the racist language would remain in property records for posterity. It allows for a formal repudiation of the records that are already in existence there that contain the the racial restriction. And it does so without erasing history, right, or erasing the truth or the reality of what the state of the title was um, in the past. Some say that's not good enough. A quarter of state lawmakers have sponsored a bill to let homeowners erase the racist language from their property files altogether. State Representative John Barrett of North Adams proposed the legislation after some constituents complained that they couldn't remove racial covenants from their home records. The people who had bought these homes just felt as though if we wanted to take them out, as one said to me, it's just not who we are and we'd like it removed, whether it's not legal or or whatever. They just wanted it out of the deed. But community organizer Ron Bell says he doesn't want the racist history to be erased or forgotten. It doesn't surprise me because I've lived it. I've watched it in my face, my experience growing up in Boston whether it be through busing, whether it be the Stewart case, whether it be just being black in Boston in, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, working in every sector. Bell argues the racial covenants are a reminder of that history and that the problems persist. Black and brown residents are less likely to own homes in Massachusetts and far more likely to face discrimination by real estate agents. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Simone Rios. Thanks for being with us once again for And Another Thing, a daily production of New England Public Media. And Another Thing's audio producer is Denise Vozella. Production assistant is Alex Severo. The managing editor of And Another Thing is Mark DeGon. The chief content officer for New England Public Media is Maxie Jackson. I'm Dara Kennedy. And I'm Maya Schwader. We hope you'll join us again for And Another Thing. Thank you.